Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. You know, um, what, uh, when you do come over to the Center of Hope, so many of you are there. Uh, three of our key staff go to this church, and then uh, probably total about a dozen others of you. As I look around, I feel like I'm at the Center of Hope. So uh, it would, uh, it's my good, it's my honor to be here, but it's also my opportunity to always thank all of you for partnering with Victor Ministries and with the Center of Hope. And you're probably the, um, the key church. Uh, we, we have some really great connections with some special churches, but it's really, and I'm not saying that just because I'm here, I don't say this to all the churches, <laughs> kind of like you tell all the girls you love them. Uh, there really is something special here. You know from the times I've been here in the past, uh, I, started, I started going here, thank you, I started attending this church in 1973. So there's history, and I won't take time to share that today, but the bottom line is uh, Brother Jarvis and every, everyone else that was part of that early church, they were my <laughs> friends, and got baptized in the Holy Spirit in a Redeemer's House Fellowship uh, in that summer um, over at a house fellowship on Olentangy Street in Clintonville. And so the roots go back, for me personally, right back to my conversion, just a little bit past my conversion. Then my life in the spirit of being, receiving the Holy Spirit and then moving out in God after that. So Pastor Jarvis, then followed by Dwight and Tammy, been with Victory from day one and Millie, day one. Uh, so thank you. Thank you for being those partners and those friends. I mean, we just, we need them all. We need the support. Um, I'm affectionately, but I think I'm affectionately called Bubba by, I think he calls everybody Bubba. You <laughs> 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 don't call Tammy Bubba. So that, those friendships, they mean a lot. And I think I just wanted to take uh, that extra two minutes I had to, to share that. So I have a video I want you to see. And then we'll, uh, we'll get into the Word together. The Bible says, faith is the substance of things hoped for. When you lose and have that last little bit of hope extinguished, it goes from bad to worse and from dark to darker. You have to have a seed to believe that tomorrow could be better. We don't experience hunger. Our children get the clothes they need. They go to the schools they need to go to. But then when you see families struggling with basic necessities, it weighs on you heavily and makes you want to do more. We saw families in need. We literally saw families without enough groceries. We saw children going to school hungry. If you need food, hope looks like food. If you need a job, hope can be a job. If you need clothes, hope looks like clothes. At some particular point in the experience and in the relationship, there's this opening where they just talk about what's, what's really happening. The response you generally get is, first of all, are you sure you want to know about me? And once they open up, you can tell that it's almost like a wall gets broken down a little bit, and they can tell they're loved. I love that I get to love on these people with the love of God. 
So when we pray for people, God just pours out His love on them. There's three main ways for anybody to get involved. We, we need people who want to come alongside us in one of our programs, whether it's our day program, our reading program, uh, one of our evening or weekend programs. We need people who will pray. We have groups and prayer groups and small groups that pray regularly for Victor Ministries, and then those also uh, who can give. Uh, you know, it takes the finances to make the Center of Hope work from day to day. We think that God has given us a great model, uh, 15,000 square feet doing just as many possible things as we can. We want to make sure that we're ministering at the places where it really is needed and then growing so that other communities can have the same thing. Praise God. And uh, if you'll grab a newsletter out there on the table, I brought some extra newsletters. Uh, there's a, if you caught in there that I, uh, part of our vision has always been for the Center of Hope that it would it would expand into other areas, other cities, other communities, that, that delegations from maybe Canton or Akron or somewhere would come to us and then we would help them do one of these. Well, a group did come to us from Knox County and there is now Center of Hope, Knox County. Amen. Hallelujah. And, uh, it's, it's extremely exciting because this was the vision that was laid out in 2006. You know, uh, you take a vision, you write it down. I can remember putting my little Microsoft Publisher 2000 edition uh, together with a little chart for, for our board. And I said, Janice and I said, this is what we believe God wants to do. He wants to build a center of hope. He wants us to establish it, and he wants us to help others do it in their city. Yeah. And when, at the time of making this video, uh, it had not happened yet. <laughs> it had not happened yet. I was prophesying. But God just is uh, awesome, and we're just going to keep doing the journey together uh, until he comes and takes us home. Amen? When someone asked me, you know, I showed you that video, and someone asked me, what do you do at the Center of Hope? And it, you can see that we do a lot of things, but really simply put we just do hope and the reason we concentrate so much on hope is because if you don't have hope then you don't have anything to hook your faith to Amen. the bible says faith is the substance of things hoped for so if hope gets buried or if it gets extinguished that's a dark place that's a really really lonely place so for us at victory we put our energy into helping people who have lost their hope there's a couple that, that came to Victor Ministries some months ago, uh, Kara and Nick. And they came through the door, and they were desperate. They were in need of food. They were hungry. Um, they did not have an appointment. Uh, they did not have any food. And they were at wit's end, as you'll find out why in a minute, but they had been to uh, some other food pantries, but they weren't there on the right day or the right time or something didn't work out. And they'd been turned down six times that day. So when they got to us, we had an opening. We try to make that work when we can because uh, you do need an appointment with us too. And so we told them to come back in an hour. Well, she came back. She had written a note on a piece of notebook paper. And she says, I truly appreciate the help you're giving us. I don't have a card or a thank you note. 
but you've come into my life at a most difficult time. Your help is important to me, and you gave me hope. My son died on Christmas Eve 2016, and I can't seem to get over this loss. My sister stole all my clothes and everything she could grab. So I found you today, and I knew God was there because we went to six different places today and were turned down because it wasn't the right day. God bless you all. It gives me hope to know that there are those who still care, it, people in the world that care like this. Uh, thanks to all of you, Kara. But this is just part of the story. I mean, that's awesome by itself. I could stop right there and move on, and we could still rejoice. But what happened was during the intake, we have a little intake time, and what happened during the intake was that the, uh, the, the care attendant realized this lady was wearing men's clothes. So she, after a while, was just so embarrassed, I guess, and she just said, I'm wearing my husband's clothes. You ever been, it, you feel like every eye's on you, and, and you just, after a while, you just say what it is, you know? And she says, I'm wearing my husband's clothes because all of my clothes have been stolen. And she uh, uh, talked about their dire situation, the fact that they were hungry, they didn't have food, what their day had looked like, how much they needed help. But when it came time to pray, she said, what I want prayer for is I want prayer because we can't seem to get over this death of our son, Christmas Eve 2016. What had happened was uh, he was handling a firearm, a pistol, and he dropped it, it discharged. It hit him in the head and it killed him. Now, the police came, of course, and after they determined it wasn't a crime scene anymore, that it truly was an accidental death, they gathered up their son's body and took that with them and they just left everything else as it was. The father, Nick, he said, I cleaned it up. I cleaned up the mess. He says, I shouldn't have done it. But it ended up creating such a deep-seated trauma that who could just dance away from that? So it got a hook on them and it had just laid heavy on them all of this time. So, of course, we pray with everybody that, we pray with everything that moves over there, <laughs> if they'll let us. And then if they won't, we still pray for them without them knowing. But we do, we pray and we minister and we're always offering the solutions that Jesus brings. And so the, the care attendant put her arms around them and began to pray for them, but then God took over. And God began to minister to their deep pain and began to do what only God could do in that situation. Obviously, we believe in clinical counseling. We have, a, we have a, cl a clinical counseling ministry to deal with trauma and addiction, but only Jesus can really pour in and bring that supernatural healing. I know personally from having been delivered from drug and alcohol abuse like that, when I made that decision to follow Jesus, I was an in instant deliverance. Not everybody gets that, I understand that, but I did. And I know what it looks like when Jesus does kind of the teen challenge thing to you, and bam, you're free. Well, they started to minister to this couple till all of a sudden they got to the point where they were just weeping. It was that deep well of pain and that weeping going on uh, in the experience. And so after they finished there and they dried their eyes, moved out into the, the clothing area, and the clothing area knew what was going on, the co coordinator knew what was going on, 
So they opened up the pantry and said, you can have all the clothes you need. They let them take all the clothing they needed, all the clothing they wanted. They had none. And if you've ever been to Victor Ministries, we don't really want for anything. Uh, we only have boundaries because we try to just make sure that there's always enough to, to make it to the end, but we never run out of anything because God's Amen. great abundance. Yes. So then after there were, they were there and they got the clothes and there's more crying and more tears and more hugs, then they, uh, more Holy Ghost, then they went over, they asked them to bring their car to the back of the building and they loaded them with what we call uh, these little get started kits. It's everything you need to kind of kick off an apartment. It's personal items, towels, bedding, um, dishes, silverware. It, it, those kinds of things are all put in boxes. And we loaded them with what they would need to replenish their apartment where everything had been stolen. More tears, more, more weeping, more crying, more Holy Ghost, more hugs. And so then we asked them to pull their car around to the exit door for the choice pantry. And they just, they just loaded this couple down with as much food as they could reasonably take. So what happens at the end of the day, uh, besides the tears, besides the weeping, healing happens. Deliverance happens. Jesus happens. You know, listening to these songs about victory and then listening to that young man talk about victory, this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith, right? This is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. It's the faith that he puts in us. We're called people of faith. Um, they say that Victory Ministries is faith-based. Well, yeah, you better believe it. I, I wonder if they really know what they're saying when they say we're faith-based. We're believing God. Amen. We're not only believing God for, for what we need, the manna from heaven, to do what we have to do every day. We're believing God for the deliverance of the people that we serve. That for God to penetrate into these deep, painful places. Hallelujah. Well, Proverbs... 1425 says, a true witness rescues lives. This is the New English translation. A true witness rescues lives. And the beauty of following Jesus is that Jesus shares his heart and his mission with us, and then he gives us that burden and then tells us to go out and to bring aid to others. Some are drowning in addiction, right? Some people are drowning in grief and trauma. They're just drowning. Others in loneliness and pain. And then there's millions, literally millions caught in the grip of poverty. Too many. But you know, we can be an agent of change. We can literally be an agent of change because in these many scenarios, you know, Jesus has made us his partner. Jesus is here in the form of the Holy Spirit, but Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, and he's, he's left it to the church to be the hands and the feet and to carry out the work. It says in Romans 8 that we're an heir of God and a joint heir of Jesus Christ. I gotta say, I don't think we get that. I mean, we hear heir of God and we normally think about stuff. Because when you're an heir here, it means somebody died and they left you something and it's property or it's money or it's assets of some kind. And it is that with God too. But that's the little piece. Right, right. The big piece to being there with God is that we get to share His glory. That's right. That we get to share His life. That we get to share His Godness 
as his children, we get to share uh, all of those awesome things about him as a joint heir with him, as an heir of God and a joint heir with Jesus Christ, full partners. You know, then in John 14, Jesus says, I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm not going to abandon you. I'm going to give you another helper, the Holy Spirit. And he's going to abide with you forever and he's going to lead you into all truth. Oh, that we could learn to listen to the Holy Spirit and be led by him. I mean, if we could just slow down enough to listen. Do, do, you ever, do you ever just realize you're not even watching the television, but you've got it on? It's not a sin. It's not, I'm not going to be doing condemnation here. But, <laughs> but you, you got it on, and then you think, you think, why am I just being fed that? You turn it off, and then in two or three minutes, you, you center back with the Lord. And you realize all that distraction, all that information, all that Fox TV or whatever it is you left on is creating a, a distraction in your spirit. And then when you turn the noise off, you now can refocus on that listening to Him. We need to learn to do that. So many around us are waiting for us to step up to the plate and show them the power of God. Oh, I know they think you're weird. And I guess we are. We're peculiar people. But they really are waiting for you to give them an answer. They need an answer. It says in Romans 8.19, For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. I don't care what they say, they are waiting for you and me to come up with some answers and bring the power of Jesus to bear to help them overcome and defeat the enemy and even give them the power to dare to hope again. There may be someone in this room, I have people that I know and I'm ministering to, sometimes in my own family, there are people around us who are not hoping. They've lost their hope. And you can talk to them about the power of God, the Word of God, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word. You can do all that, all that's true. But when the hope is gone, it's just like water on a duck's back. It just rolls off, it rolls off, it rolls off. We have to find a way to penetrate into the hearts and souls of folks so that they can have their hope brought back. We can bring that spark of hope back. We work with folks. And if we bring in the power of God, how, well, how did Jesus evangelize? How did he garner a crowd? How did he get followers? I mean, I guess he could have, if he was alive today, he could have had a social media emphasis and a blitz, and there might have been some effectiveness on that. Uh, one time I saw a card, uh, a contemporary card showed Jesus on Twitter, and he said, oh, I got 12 followers. <laughs> and I, I, so, so I, guess there could have been, I guess there could have been a little bit of, of some success, or maybe if we had been coaching Jesus, we would have said, what you need is a comprehensive marketing plan. Right. You need one where we drive everyone to the website. Right. And maybe there would be some limited success, but those can be okay ideas, but... Here's what Jesus did. 
He went about the cities and the villages, teaching in the synagogues, preaching the kingdom, of, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and disease among the people. Teaching, preaching, and healing. You can gain a lot of followers if you heal enough of them. Yeah, exactly. Or, or if you unconditionally love enough of them, or if you feed enough who are hungry. In other words, Jesus met needs where people were, and He went to where they lived. Um, it didn't matter if they were social outcasts. In fact, Jesus seemed to prefer social outcasts. It also didn't matter if they were too poor. They could not repay because Jesus loved the poor. So, He listened to their cries, and the way He drew followers, He listened to their cries, and He gave real answers. Jesus gave real answers. If you're dying of something and you get healed, I would call that a real answer. If you uh, don't have the money that you need and you see God bring a miracle, that's a real answer. If your mind is tormented and you get delivered from an oppressive spirit, those are real answers. Again, Romans 8.19, the creation is waiting for the revelation or the revealing of the sons and daughters of God. They're waiting for us. They're waiting for us to show up as sons and daughters of God. You know, Jesus had great faith, obviously. But he also expected us to have great faith, too. And in Luke 9, one of the accounts of feeding of the 5,000, or several, it says that when it came time to feed the people, anybody remember what Jesus said to his disciples? You give them something to eat. He said, you give them something to eat. And if you look at the account of this in Mark 6, before they get to Bethsaida, where this, where this miracle happened, he commissioned the 12 to go out and to heal the sick and cast out devils and to go into the community and represent him and do all those great things. And so when later in the chapter, when they get over to Bethsaida and they've got the people and they need to feed them, he really did believe and meant you feed them. You're my disciples. Have you been paying attention? You can do this. You've seen me do it. I've said the works that you do shall you do also. He really meant for them to do it. Most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do will he do also, and greater or more works than these will he do, because I go to the Father. Do we have any believers here today? If you believe in Jesus, raise your hand. Amen. Then according to this verse, it says, He who believes in me, it me he, those works you will do also. You can do the works of Jesus. Yeah. Don't shortchange yourself. Because whatever you believe God is doing with you right now, whatever you're expecting God to do, He's doing. Whatever you think He's not doing, He's not doing. Faith is so important. Stretching yourself is so important. I so wanted to, to just kind of drift from this, listening to those songs and listening to that exhortation, and just do a great message on faith and believing God, because it's the key to us being able to win the world. So what was Jesus' big evangelism plan? Teach, preach, feed, heal, help, love, and even die for every one he met. That was his big plan. Then he passed the baton to us, his followers. 
He also passed the anointing, the call, and the responsibility. Look with me at Ephesians uh, 2.10. I think it'll probably be right up there. Look at that. Thank you, Judy. You're, you're just right on the money. But let's look at this scripture. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is a defining verse. I mean, this is a, an amazing verse. This word workmanship, it means product, fabric, or a thing being made. So you're created or you're formed by the Creator for intrinsically good or noble works. So if I put my paraphrase together with these, these uh, amplified Greek words, so you are God's product or you are His thing being made, created or reborn by the Creator in Christ Jesus for meaningful works that God prepared beforehand, before time existed, for us to walk in now. So whenever you see that, that he prepared something beforehand, you've got to go all the way back before the foundation of the world where you were in the heart and mind of Christ before any of this happened. And he prepared a work for you right there. Now he brings it to the now, and this is what we are to walk in, something that God prepared beforehand that we are supposed to walk in. We've been created, and God's working on you. For it says that we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, those two scriptures will preach all day long. That both of those together. The other one is the Philippians 2.13, I believe. God has an idea about you. I want you to hear that. God has an idea about you. He's thinking about you. You know Jeremiah 29.11. I have thoughts about you. I have plans for you. I've got a future for you. I want to prosper you. God's got an idea about you, not just pastors Dwight and Tammy. God's got an idea about you, and he's got works he prepared beforehand for you to walk in. Good works, noble works, virtuous works, worthy works. He's got special stuff there for us to walk in. Jesus said, my, will is, and, and, or my food is to do the will of the Father. And what did Jesus do? He taught, he preached, he healed. That was his evangelism plan. So what is his idea for you? Well, he wants to conform you into the image of his son. And how does he want to do that? By having you walk in these good and worthy works that he's prepared for you to walk in. This is the process. If you don't walk in the works, you'll miss a piece of the conforming to the son. If we don't walk in the works. I, you know, that just came hot off the press. That's why I had to pause for a second. Yeah. If we don't walk in the works, we don't get fully conformed into the image of His Son. Somebody write that down and give it to me later. <laughs> I'm going to put this the next time I preach it. It's better than last week. I preached this last week, but it's better today. You know how that goes. It grows. It grows and grows. The book of Titus, uh, this little book of Titus, Paul's talking to Titus about, he's, he's got the, un, Titus has the unenviable task of setting the church in order at Crete. And so he's got to pick elders, he's got to set the church in order, and it's, it's just not going to be an easy job for him. And so 
Paul tells him, he says, pick men, the highest quality, right? You've got to pick the elders, the bishops, pick them of the highest quality. But he also says throughout the letter, he stresses the need to also pick, or also to emphasize for all men, all women, all boys, all girls, that they also should have a life of excellence, which he stresses throughout the necessity of practical working out of your salvation. That's the book of Titus. It's considered one of the three pastoral letters. It's the third one, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. And it's, it's a wonderful book of instruction. But in chapters 2, the end of chapter 2, and the beginning of chapter 3, in the space of 17 verses, Paul says to, to Titus four times, four times, concerning good works. He deals with good works four times. Titus 2.7, he says... Likewise, exhort the younger men to be sober-minded in all things, showing themselves to be a pattern of good works. Titus 2.14, looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave, for, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem for us at, from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Pattern for good works, zealous for good works. Let's just go down another verse. Titus 3.1. Remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities and to obey and be ready for good works. 3.8. This is a faithful saying, and these things I want you to affirm, I want to affirm constantly. That those who have believed in God, remember, we're believers, we've believed in God, we should be careful to maintain good works. Pattern of good works zealous for good works, ready for good works, maintain good works. And those of you uh, that use your Strong's Concordance 499, you can get the Strong's Concordance downloaded into your phone, and you can be exegeting scriptures in minutes. It's just, I really recommend it. But it'll tell you that that first word, that word pattern of good works, it means to, it's like a scar, or it means to strike like a die. So in other words, it's a tattoo. Be tattooed with good works. I love that. Then the second word, zealous, just means zealous. We know zealous, all right? That means passionate. That means go after it. Be after good works. 3-1, to be ready for good works means to be fit as to prepare physically. Be ready and be prepared. Be ready for good works. And then to maintain good works means to preside over, to maintain or rule with good works. I think God's trying to make a point. I think Paul's trying to make a point. He's telling Titus, here's how you set up the church, but they need to have a pattern of good works. They need to be zealous for good works, ready for good works, and maintain good works. So the, these scriptures clustered together make it crystal clear, do works in every way That's you can right. think of. Every way you can think of. I love it when God says something, and then he says it, and then he says it, and then he says it again. And when I stumbled on this some years ago, and I saw these, these four verses together, these four points together in 17 verses, I was struck that I'd never heard anybody draw this to my attention before, that this is part of the church that gets missed a lot, but we're not going to miss it, are we? And you don't miss it as a church. You see, Jesus lived his life for others, but the thing is, he still does. He served God, he served people, he was a connector, he built bridges to people. And if we want to be the church, 
We have to love God, and we have to love others, right? We have to love God, we have to love others. But we have to serve both. Love God, love others, serve both. You see, to serve Jesus is different than serving others. Because to serve Jesus means to obey Him. To serve others doesn't mean to obey them. What it means is it's submitting our resources to them as if they were Jesus. So, serving Jesus looks one way. It means obedience. It says, if you love me, you will keep my word. And my Father will love you and He will come to you and we will make our abode or tabernacle with you. That word abode means to remain. He's going to come and make a permanent address with you. But to love others means that we're going to serve them and we're going to submit our resources as if they were Jesus. What does it say? If you've done it unto one of the least of these, you've done it unto me. Signed, Jesus. Done it unto the least of these, You've done it unto me. I have a, a little note here from one of the least of these. A little girl comes to our ministry a lot with her grandmother. There's three sisters. We've known them for some years. And uh, their mother had died. The father is gone. So she's raising them. And this is the letter she uh, handed one of our workers, the little girl handed the, the word. I wish you could see how many words were misspelled uh, to, because it just makes it that much more affectionate. But she says, uh, instead of from Aaron, it says for Aaron. Thank you for helping us for a long time. Hope is what kept us together. I mean, this is a little girl. Hope is what let us know each other. You help us get the food we need. You, you help us to hope. You give us a kiss on the head and tell us can't wait to see you next time. We keep you in our hearts. Thank you for giving your love to us and you make us feel welcome. So love us like we're family. We love you like family. We keep you in our payers. And we hope you keep us in your payers. We love you all. And we put that in the newsletter. Any of you who are on, the, on the, uh, the mailing list, we put that, that in the newsletter. I have a, another testimony I want to read that uh, is in our November newsletter. Uh, again, if you, if you want to correspond with us or get our correspondence, there's a sign-up sheet out there. You just put, that, put your information down. But uh, there was a lady that was in one of, with one of our care team who was, um, uh, had lost five, member, five family members in a very short period of time and two within a week. And I want to just kind of read, just, it'd be better for me just to read it off of here. But what happened to her, and she admitted this to the worker, that she had fallen heavily into drinking uh, as a result, and had never been a drinker before. But her way to cope with it was to, was to go to alcohol. So she sat there that day with our kind-hearted care attendant and was loved on and listened to. You know, for so many, this is what makes all the difference, knowing that you're being heard and someone truly cares. For others, uh, 
than such deep despair. They must have more. It wasn't long before uh, this particular lady began to see one of our clinical counselors. So she got in our counseling ministry and they began to give her deep trauma care uh, from her grief and from everything else that had spiraled out of control in her life. A few months later, she returned and she met with the care team attendant and shared her incredible story and how she, uh, and after many appointments, she had reported that God had healed her of her pain. She, she's no longer drinking, totally sober, and given this new perspective to live by, this woman became so changed, her husband commented and he said, I have my wife back. But I just found this out a couple of days ago, that she came back in January, still walking with the Lord, still sober, still doing well, because this had happened last year, uh, but desperate need of a job. So they prayed for her to get a job. And then when she came back in February, she didn't have a job yet, and the care team worker prayed with a different one, prayed with her again, but it was, a, it was really, it ended up being a prophetic prayer. She prayed and she really kind of prophesied that you will get more than one job offer and you're gonna be able to choose your destiny. Well, so then she came back and, and, and the next month, or she came back in February, and uh, I guess that all happened in January, came back in February, and she had been offered this fantastic job, really great pay, like 90 an hour. And she was uh, gonna have to travel though, be away from her husband, be away from her children. And they didn't think God wanted to do it, so they turned it down. Then she got a second job offer. They came to her, got her a second job offer, full benefits, great job, not as much money, but a, a great pay and salary as well. She doesn't have to travel, and she's able to be with her family. Now, this is one of those turnarounds. This is one of those ones where, man, the bottom's falling out. She's gone from just trying to live her life into alcohol addiction, not being able to cope with the death of all these people in her family. And a lot of times the people that, that we know that are dealing with deaths in their families, they die from gun violence. And that's, that's very, very frequent that they've died from gun violence. And these, these are the folks where it says a true witness rescues lives. Amen. You may not have been there that day. In fact, I wasn't personally involved in this, this one. Um, sometimes I'm involved, but I wasn't personally involved. I just I read about it. I heard the testimonies. A true witness rescues lives. And you're part of that. You're, you're rescuing right. lives. Yeah. You're helping to rescue these lives. So just to wrap up, I have, a, I have a challenge that I want you to think about. This is Lent and the Lenten season. And um, I grew up in a Baptist church. I wasn't, a, I wasn't a Christian until I was 19, but I grew up there. It was there since I, I was born. And they don't observe Lent. The Baptist church I was in don't observe Lent. Is that right, Millie? They don't observe Lent. I don't know why, but they don't. Maybe it's too Catholic. But Janice was Catholic. And uh, so she observed Lent, ate fish every Friday and all that, and so she knew all about it. But the idea of Lent is meant to be a time of repentance, uh, reflection, 
confession, all those things. And it can be really good. In fact, if you do it correctly, it can you know, be a place of deeper intimacy with the Lord, taking this period up to the passion and, and observing that. Uh, and historically, Christians, they fast to show repentance. So I'm kind of giving you this little bit of background if you maybe not as familiar with it. But I got this thought, and um, actually someone shared something like this at one of our huddles in prayer, and I, I just kind of expanded on it a little bit because I call this a twist on Lent, what I'm getting ready to tell you. Instead of just giving something up or fasting, what if you either just did what I'm getting ready to tell you to do or you do this in addition to it? What if you give something out? Instead of giving something up, what if you give something out? And uh, you think about uh, all the different ways you could do that. Now, there's a thousand ways to do it, to serve, because there's a thousand ways to serve. That's why there's a thousand ways to do it. I'm going to take a stab at just a few. Maybe you could say yes to someone when it's inconvenient. Or you could help a mom of young children to preserve her sanity. Any of you that raised children, you know what I'm talking about. Maybe you could help around the church or give someone a ride. Maybe you could volunteer somewhere, like the Center of Hope or someone else. Buy someone lunch. Show kindness to someone who cannot reciprocate. Give something to someone who doesn't deserve it. That, let's say that one again. Give something to someone who doesn't deserve it. And you, you are exactly right. Someone did it for us. First off, his name was Jesus. And then I have a string of people who gave me what I needed and not what I deserved over the course of my life. And I thank God for all of them. All these godly men and women who saw something in me that I, don't, I didn't see in myself. If this connects with you, it's something you, you might be looking for, something you'd like to try, exercise with me. Here's, here's what I encourage you to do. Find, a, find one of these uh, Lenten plans or find a reading plan. They're on another, another plug for the U version of the Bible. If you don't have a U version of the Bible, I'm not sure you're saved. Uh, uh, just kidding. But, but it's awesome. If you're, you're missing out on, on one of the greatest tools, every version helps. Um, and it's got reading plans of every kind. I do, I do one on something most of the time. Uh, they've got great ones on hope. They've got them on evangelism. They've got them on all the, all the different areas you might want to look at. But they've also got them on Lent. So I just suggest in your devotions, incorporate something. Even if you just do it, do it, make up your own. Incorporate something in your devotions between now and Easter. There's still 36 days till Easter. So between now and Easter, incorporate in your devotions this time of looking to the cross, looking to the crucifixion, the burial, the resurrection, looking to that day. That's our day. Easter is our day. It's the Christian celebration. And, and then ask the Lord to give you opportunities that day, then look for them. Ask the Lord to give them to you, then look for them. So my closing thought is, let's go out and let's give out. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah.